Uh, so we're doing a summer series called Set in Stone. And Set in Stone, uh, how can we be deeply rooted in Christ? How can we be deeply rooted in our uh, spiritual disciplines? Uh, you know, the typical disciplines, uh, reading the Bible. I get to talk about prayer this morning. Uh, prayer is a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. So my uh, grandma and grandpa uh, lived in a house with us growing up, and my grandma was in charge of the prayer ministry at my church growing up. So from a very young age, I've seen that modeled uh, in very powerful ways. And it's interesting because uh, typically when you preach a sermon, I like to do expository preaching, just walk through books of the Bible. When you do a sermon like this, it's like, I don't want this to be a TED talk, right? I want it to be a sermon. Uh, but it's a little bit tricky. I'm going to use a lot of scripture. Uh, we're not really hanging out in one particular book. But what I really want to do is give us practical handles about prayer. Um, so I got to thinking about prayer. I, I could argue that it's probably the most powerful of the spiritual disciplines. Uh, when it's done correctly, or, or when you have a good prayer life, it's powerful. But I could also argue that it's probably the most underutilized of the spiritual disciplines. So you have to ask that question. If it's so powerful, if prayer is such an awesome thing, why is it so underutilized in us as Christians and in the church at large? And I call it the party invitation argument. I think a lot of times it's because we don't know the who, what, where, when, and why of prayer. We don't always know like exactly who we're praying to. We don't know where to pray. We don't know when to pray. We don't know why we're praying. And then we don't know the words that come out of our mouth. What should we be praying? So I want to go over that this morning because I truly do believe prayer has an extremely powerful impact on us. So in the book of James, uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, James is telling the church, he says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James is saying you don't have because you don't ask. You don't go to the Father in prayer about that. That's why you don't have it. And when you do ask, you ask wrongly. And I think the reality, whether this is your first time walking into a church or you've been going here since Desert Springs started, uh, the reality is we all need a little bit of help in our prayer lives. There's people that lead the prayer team here that would probably say that. But when the New Testament tells us about prayer, it doesn't always give us like a, a perfect formula to follow. So if you're going to look through scripture and try to find that, you're going to have a rough time. But what you can find is, is a lot about our prayer life is not defined on a formula or by what we do. It's on who God is. You'll find plenty of that information. So in the Christian belief, a core tenet of Christianity is, a, is the doctrine of the Trinity. So the Trinity is, is probably going through Bible college, seminary, preaching. It's probably A, the, the hardest thing to understand, and then B, the hardest thing to explain. But the power in the Trinity is what makes our prayer different. It's one of the aspects. And the Trinity can be defined as this. God eternally existed. So from the beginning of time, God eternally existed as three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And each of those persons is fully God, but yet there is one God. So if you're scratching your head at that definition, don't worry, you're not left alone. Uh, it's a very complex doctrine, but what I want to communicate is when we pray, we're actually praying by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. If we properly can understand the Trinity in this context, I think it, it would make our prayers more understood by us. So first off, we pray by the Spirit. So what do I mean by that? We pray by the Spirit. No Christian prayer that ever happens can possibly happen apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. 
That's just a fact. So let me break that down. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How encouraging is that verse? Like, the Spirit himself intercedes for us while we are praying with groanings too deep for words. So let me explain that. So in, uh, I was probably like eight or nine, my dad bought me golf clubs. And he's like, Michael, I'm going to teach you how to play golf. So I grew up in central Phoenix. There was a a nine-hole course called Palo Verde Golf Course that had a driving range. And my dad took me out to the golf course, and he said, Michael, I'm going to get a bucket of balls. We're going to go to the driving range, and uh, what you're going to do is you're going to stand 10 feet from me. Just watch me hit balls. Here's a notepad and a pen. I want you to just take notes, and then you're going to do it. No, that would be like the worst way possible to teach a kid to play golf. What did my dad do? Much like a lot of you probably did with your kids. He stood right behind me, right? He put his arms over mine. He put his hands over mine as he showed me how to grip the club. He showed me how to get my hips back first. And then we started to just take strokes and we saw balls just flying on the driving range. And to be honest with you, as a little kid, who's hitting the ball? Is it me? Is it my dad? Is it both of us? That's the Holy Spirit when we pray. He's praying along with us. And think about that. Literally, we pray by the Spirit, meaning God is praying for us while we are praying to Him. That's what makes our prayers powerful. So there's no such thing as like, I'm just going to run to the Lord in prayer. There's no such thing as just praying. No, prayer is powerful every single time you do it because you do it by the Spirit of God. None of your prayers are wasted. Every single prayer is done in conjunction with the Spirit. But we also pray through the Son. So I could say that in Scripture you see that the bond between the Father and the Son, there is no deeper human bond that we can see in human history than Jesus Christ and the Father. Let's look at a couple verses. Uh, John 14, 31, it says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, Jesus, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So Jesus is obedient to the Father just so the world knows that he loves the Father. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Right after the transfiguration, Mark 9.7, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. Remember at Jesus' baptism, Jesus comes out of the water, the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There is no deeper bond of unity, no better relationship that we can ever see modeled than what the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. So in our prayer lives, the work of the Son is to simply open that same door for us to talk to the Father, to give us the kind of relationship that the Son has with the Father. Uh, John 17 is called the high priestly prayer. And I love John 17 because it's like a a behind-the-scenes picture of Jesus literally talking to his Father. And it's interesting, some of the things he prays in John 17. Verses 22 and 23, he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. So you start to see that bond, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. 
Jesus is praying for that same exact bond. In verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus opens the door with that bond for us to be able to talk to the Father. So that same bond that he has with the Father, we are able to have because of him. So when we pray like in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name isn't some magical formula we throw onto the ends of our, end of our prayer so it's heard or it's answered. We approach the Father in the name of the Son because we are approaching the Father through the work of the Son. So prayer isn't something where you have to like sit in a special chair and like have your heart oriented the exact right way because you need to drum up rapport with God. You already have rapport with God the minute you pray because of the Son. So whether it's a good day, a bad day, you have a good attitude, a bad attitude, when you approach the Father, you do that in Jesus' name. You approach the Father based on his performance, not your own. So we pray by the Spirit, we pray through the Son, and then lastly, we pray to the Father. We humbly approach the Father. And I want to communicate two things about God. It's God that God is accessible and God is good. God is accessible and God is good. We always have to remember that when we pray. In Matthew 7, 7 through 8, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to the crowd, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So if you look in the Greek, all those verbs are present tense. It's a, it's a sense of like continually ask, continually seek, continually knock. So the difference between us as fathers, where like I have twin three-year-olds that drive me nuts. So like seven o'clock in the, in the night, I'm like, stop asking me questions. I just want to sit on the couch. God's not like that. God wants you to continue to run to him. God's not tired of your prayers. He's not tired of you petitioning him. God's accessible, but then right after this, we see that God is good. Jesus goes on to say, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Like if us as parents know how to good give, give good gifts. My son turns five in a couple weeks. I'm not going to give him a serpent for his birthday right? If, if us as people know how to give our kids good gifts, how much more does the Father know how to give us good gifts? God is good, and God is accessible. So we pray by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. But what do we pray? What exactly are the words? Like, is there a, is there a formula? Like, what are we supposed to pray? Uh, earlier this year, I read a book called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Really, really small book. I would encourage you to read it take you like an hour and a half. And in the book, uh, Donald Whitney, he outlines the average person prays about six typical things. Uh, they pray for their family, whether that's their immediate family or uh, extended family, uh, their future, whatever their future might hold, their finances, can I get an amen on that? Um, people pray about that. Uh, work, so maybe it's a promotion or just get along with your coworkers. Uh, Christian concerns, so maybe there's a friend that you have, you're, want, you're praying that the uh, they come to Christ. And then lastly, uh, current crisis, which is, I think a lot of us have been kind of hanging out in that lane for the past few months, right? And none of those things are bad. Like those six things aren't inherently bad to pray for. But the reality is, 
Those six things, when they're prayed over and over, what ends up happening is we get caught in ruts. Whitney says this in his book. He says, therefore, the problem is not that we pray about the same old things. Rather, it's that we say the same old things about the same old things. It seems that virtually everyone begins to pray this way sooner or later, and it's boring. And when prayer is boring, we don't feel like praying. When we don't feel like praying, it's hard to pray, at least in any sort of focused, heartfelt way. That's when we are tempted to think, it must just be me. I must just be a second-rate Christian. The natural response to such discouragement can be, then stop it, quit praying. Why do this to yourself? If prayer is so boring and leaves you so frustrated and disheartened, then don't pray anymore. Like, I read that in the book, and it slapped me right across the face, because, like, I'm a pastor, and there's a lot of times, like, my prayer life might feel a little bit stale. Like, how many times do we just dedicate, like, God, I'm going to pray before I go to sleep, and next thing you know, you're asleep. But you wake up in the morning, like, instead of uh, falling asleep praying, you prayed yourself to sleep, right? That's typical for us. We don't always know what to pray. We get caught in ruts. But our prayer typically follows, like, a a specific formula. Uh, This doesn't work all the time. But our prayer usually runs on the rails of three different things. Praise, petition, and confession. Uh, Let's just look at an example of the Lord's Prayer. However we memorized it, in the King James or whatever, it starts... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So praise, like God up in heaven is who I'm praying to. Hallowed be your name. Magnified be your name. Holy be your name. We're praising God. And then what? Petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, like establish your kingdom here on earth. Like give us this day our daily bread. Lord, provide for our needs. We're petitioning the Father. So it goes from praise, petition, and then it gets into confession. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Confessing that like, hey, we have debts against people. We're not perfect people. We fall short in several different areas. And then praying that the Lord would give us forgiveness for the people who have transgressed us. And then lastly, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So again, going back to petition, Lord, protect my heart. Lead me not into temptation. Praise, petition, confession. A lot of your prayers are going to look like that. Some of them may be all three. Some of them might just be one. But when we pray, let our hearts be stirred toward one of these three things. So that's the who, that's the what. How often should we pray? When should we pray? Uh, So this is a picture of my family. Uh, So my oldest son's four. So I have four kids under four. Uh, So if you see that picture right away, you're probably like, man, that couple gets no sleep, right? Um, That is completely wrong. I have no idea. Uh, It might be I just have a good wife. My children are champions in bed, okay? They go to bed at 7.30 at night, and they wake up at 6.30 in the morning, and they rarely get up in the middle of the night. But every now and then, like quarterly, I would say, we have an event where one of them wakes up. And so that's my little princess, Quinn, okay? So two weeks ago, last night, this happened in my house. Uh, 11.30 at night, the baby monitor starts making noise. It's my daughter. The baby monitor is next to my wife's pillow, not mine. I have to be at 8 a.m. service in the morning. Quinn's piping up. So Kristen gets out of bed. She goes into Quinn's room. She starts rocking her. Rocks her for like 15 minutes. Puts her back to bed. Now it's midnight. The baby monitor starts going off again. Kristen gets back up. I get back up. Like, do you need me to help with anything? No, go back to bed. Quinn's rocking. This is like rinse, repeat for like two and a half hours. So it's like 1.30 in the morning. We've been awake this entire time. 
We finally put Quinn back in bed. Quinn falls asleep. Thank God. Here's the problem. I'm like turning into like an old man. So if you wake me up in the middle of the night, I cannot go back to sleep. Like it's almost impossible for me to fall back asleep right away. It takes like a good hour, hour and a half. I'm just sitting there, my mind is racing. So it's 1.30 in the morning, my mind's racing. I'm tossing and turning, probably driving my wife nuts. I lean over, look at my phone, it's 2.35 in the morning. I'm wide awake, then I hear my wife start to stir. And so I like lean over, I was thinking she's asleep. And I was like, Kristen, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm praying for Donald Trump and Doug Ducey. <laughs> and I was like, are you awake? Like, what's going on? Yeah, I'm wide awake. I'm praying for Trump and Ducey. And I'm like, wow, are you serious? Like, here I am, like, I'm laying in bed like, God, is anybody going to come to my interest meeting? Is anyone going to come to Salt Church the day it launches without the last name Stahl? Those are the things I think when I wake up in the middle of the night. My wife's over there like, pray without ceasing, Michael. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. She's praying for our government in the middle of the night. She's far holier than I am, but that's like what prayer is, right? So you see Jesus praying all throughout the New Testament. You see him withdrawing from crowds to go up and be alone with his father to pray. We see Jesus praying for Peter right before Peter betrayed him. He went up to Peter and said, Peter, I'm praying for you. We see him praying before he makes big decisions. Jesus' prayer life was literally at all times of all days. So what does that mean for us? I don't think it's specifically like I need to set aside a time. So like our society has like a calendarization to it. So I think a lot of us think like, well, I need to wake up at 5.30 in the morning and then I'll brew my coffee and from 5.45 to 5.50, I'm going to pray. If I'm super varsity, I'm going to go to 5.55. If I'm ready to go to heaven, I'm going to 6. I'm just going to do whatever, but it's going to be a spot in my calendar. But I'm not sure if that's the way that our hearts should be oriented. Your life should be a constant seeking of the Lord's prayer. Your day should be bathed in prayer. Your family should be bathed in prayer. Your appointments at work should be bathed in prayer. Your drive to work, I've driven on I-10, it should be bathed in prayer. Prayer isn't an appointment, it's a posture. It should be a posture of our hearts. So when we pray, there's no specific answer, your life should model a life of prayer. So the last question then is why? Why do we pray? Uh, me and Pastor Sean were talking about this the other day. If, a, if an unbeliever came into this sermon, and, and here's a ser sermon on prayer, like why do I need to pray? Like A, like why do I need to pray to a God to begin with? And then if you're a Christian, like why do I pray to God? Can I change his mind? That's a big theological debate, right? So why do we pray? And I sat and I thought a lot, like, what is prayer? And I think prayer is like a million different things, but I, I wanted to put it a little bit like this. I think prayer is two main things. It's a clear view of our inability to do things on our own. And then secondly, it's a clear posture of dependence on God. So I think human tendency a lot is to like do like a, a pros and cons list before we make a decision or we flip a coin or whatever the case is. Prayer is a posture saying like, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm fully dependent on you. So I'm planting a church in January. If you want to get close to the Lord, plant a church, okay? There is no other way, like I have, my relationship with God has never been this deep because I'm fully dependent upon him. Because at the end of the day, like I have no idea what I'm doing. And I know that doesn't like spark inspiration to come to my interest meeting this afternoon, 
But in all reality, like, church planting's hard. Like, here's what my typical day looks like. I come here, I'm at work at 9 o'clock in the morning for prayer time with the staff. Then I could be on hold with, like, the Arizona Corporation Commission trying to get the name of my church registered with the state of Arizona. Then I'm back and I'm building a website. I'm texting people. I'm going to lunch with people. I'm trying to figure out how to post an Instagram story because I'm a millennial, but I'm not a great millennial, and I don't know how to do that. All this stuff I do throughout the day I wasn't prepared to build a website. I wasn't prepared to try to get a 501c3. None of that. Like, God has to go before me and run before me and do all that. So back in October, I just started simply praying one thing. I'd get up every day and I'd pray one thing. I'd say, God, if you want this church to happen where it's going to happen, Lord, you're going to need to stir up hearts. You're going to need to stir up hearts of men and women who have the same vision, who have the same mission as what you've given me to accomplish at Salt Church. You're going to need to stir up hearts. And I've been blown away at how many people I've sat in front of at lunch or coffee that are being brought to me, not even always from Desert Springs. People that are just like-minded with me. The Lord's been stirring up hearts. And that's turned into me putting a prayer list together for Salt Church. And I have eight things on this prayer list. And every Thursday I try to fast. I try to just sit in my room during lunchtime and just lay these things before the Lord. Let me just give you an example. I've prayed for men to come alongside me and challenge me. I don't want to do this by myself. And God's brought me two elder quality men, not even from Desert Springs, that are just like, man, let's do this. I'm praying for you. I'm supporting you. I've prayed for God to bring somebody to run the youth ministry. And God's brought that. I pay, the most thing I was worried about was just making connection with the school that we're going to be meeting in. And I'll just be transparent. I heard, like, Canyon View's a nice school, it's beautiful, but the principal, he doesn't want a church in the school. So just a heads up there. And I met him for coffee two weeks ago, and I just laid that before the Lord, like, God, he's not a believer, but stir his heart, and that meeting couldn't have gone any better. Like, you could literally line up a thousand principals in front of me and tell me to pick one, I'd pick him. That's the man that I want to partner with. And why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit of God is like running before me because I'm asking him to, and he's doing that work to plant this church. Because if I plant this church and it's just on my own, that church will shut down in like three years. But if the Spirit of God runs before me and does that through prayer, how powerful of a work can we do in that community? Like I truly believe as a Christian, like prayer has brought me right here. I've wanted to plant a church since I was 18 years old. I'm 33. And I came to Desert Springs. I told my wife, I said, Kristen, let's go to a church where we can just simply serve like six months down the road. And we walked into Pastor Steve's house. And I told my wife, walking into Pastor Steve's house, I don't want this guy to know where I went to college, where I went to seminary, that I want to plant a church. That was in November. In May, I was on staff. The Lord runs up ahead of us and we follow his will in prayer and just simply follow that. That would be my answer to why you should pray, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. The Holy Spirit of God knows exactly what the will you should be following in your life and in prayer is when you're revealed. So there's a specific confidence, there's a specific stillness that comes when you walk step in step with the Lord. And I think prayer lets you do that. 